Talking about food, you know, uh, we're coming to the end of the school breakfast season again for another year. Five years we've been doing this. Are you weary, Chris? No, look at that. Great. But, you know, one of the things that we find every time we go in for a year, because the years change, you know, you always get a kind of a different kind of way in which the kids come into the room. We've, we've noticed in the last couple of years that there's this huge influx the last, you know, five or ten minutes. Like, the place just goes nuts like a bomb's gone off. It's because the buses roll up and everybody gets off the buses. And it's just this horde of kids and they all go. 100, maybe 120 kids maybe in the room having breakfast with us uh, every Friday morning. But there's always a child who comes early every year. So, Chris, you know who I'm talking about this year? We've had this lad... His, his name starts with Z, that's all I'm going to say. But, but one of the things, yeah, I know, <laughs> it starts a name with Z. But, but one of the things is, when you get these kids that come in first thing in the morning, very first thing, and they're the only ones there, and we're still setting up, they love to chat. And what we discover about Z is that he's right into gaming, computer gaming. In fact, he's so hooked on computer gaming He'll tell us cheerfully that he stays up until four or five in the morning playing his... Yeah, he does, because all the people he plays against live in Europe or in America, and he's kind of playing all over the world on his video computer game. It's become a real powerful uh, pull for many young people. Now, at the heart of the video gaming stuff, it comes. it's, it's a bit like this. Most of the the really big video games are kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure idea. You know what I mean by that? means that, you know, like you can start the game and then there are choices in front of you and you can take a choice and the choice you take will take you down a whole pile. But if you went this choice, a whole new thing happens. You went this choice and you've got choices unfolding all the time. Believe me, I've got no interest in being a video gamer. It just sounds horrendously challenging. And what you do, though, is you combat against other gamers. Now, right now, I've got an expert in the, in the field right in the middle here. I'm, I'm pretty well right getting this roughly so far, aren't I? You go to combat against other gamers um, who are constantly making choices of their own as well. And so, that's, so you are actually in this kind of, if you like, simulated world where you become, if you like, the protagonist. You become, you know, a warrior or, or a, a character in this game. And some of, those, some of those are good and some of those are not good. And in most instances, there are more than one choice. Um, and if you make the right choices, the choice you make will move you up or it will slow you down or it will actually lead you down a, a dark place. Um, but if you want to move through the various levels, you kind of make a series of choices, which is what makes the game interesting. Uh, it's like you're there. You're in this thing uh, without actually being there. And I can tell you, it's just as well you're not there because you'd be killed many times over if you were actually there. Because the whole point, of course, is to, is to um, in many of the games, is to kill off your opponents. Now, I think about this and I'm thinking, it, this, this lad that sits with us, he talks about you know, how he makes choices and he talks about how he wants to achieve certain levels, but it's all about what choices he makes while he plays the game. Now, we all have the capacity to choose Choice, actually, is, when I think about it, is one of the, it, it's, it's foundational, even in the very first story of the scripture, is it not? 
you know, we know as Christians, uh, our theology tells us that God created us with free will. Do you understand that? We're created with free will. We may not like the fact that people have free will because people, you know, we and we too, we seem to not be able to exercise our free will always in the way that people would think is a good way to exercise it. Thank you, Ross, for what you spoke about in, in, in yeah, there, north. North is there, by the way, according to my compass, but that's good. Uh, but thank you for sharing that. That you know, like, um, choices are, are in front of us all the time, even as believers. It's a God-given gift of the Creator to be able to make choices. We were born with that capacity. And right through Scripture, we see people, uh, God's people, uh, being called to choose. Here's one for you. On, on, you know, when you get into Exodus... Exodus 19, God's people have gone through the Dead Sea, um, yep, and um, the Red Sea, pardon me, uh, the Red Sea, and, and, uh, and they've come to Sinai, and here God calls them to choose, to choose. And it's like there's a marriage festival uh, taking place, but God gives them an opportunity to choose whether they want to be his people or not. He says, I'll be your God, but Will you be my people? Kind of, in that way. In Deuteronomy 32, we see Moses reinstates and, and, and reinforces the covenant. He says this, uh, I quote you from Deuteronomy 32, he says, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. Choose. You can choose or you can, you can choose life or you can choose death. You can choose I say choose life. In Joshua 24, we see, we see Joshua is standing with the people, you know, in a great covenant, solemn gathering. And, and they've, they've just kind of entered the promised land. And Joshua, I get the sense, is concerned that some of his compatriots are not willing to let go of all the gods that they've kind of collected along the way. And he says this to them. He says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. He says, But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We choose God. Now, in the New Testament, we see this theme of choice all the time as well. In the New Testament, we see Paul continually appealing to his readers that they have choices, they can choose, because being able to choose is a fundamental, right from day one, gift from God, the ability to choose. And so right through the epistles, if you read them carefully, you'll see he invites them to choose whether they'll stay faithful or whether they'll quit. To choose to live from sound doctrine or from people who are coming in like Judaizers who are saying you need to be circumcised, you need to obey all the Jewish law or you can't be a follower. Choose. Which one are you going to choose? They can choose to live in Christ or they can live for self. To choose the way of the flesh or to live in the fruit of the Spirit. It's a choice. In Galatians, he says, 
you know, uh, the evidence of the flesh is, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. And it's like those two things come together and it's like he's saying, which one are you going to choose? Which will you live by? Paul's words were, well, was a bit like ours. His world was like ours. In his world, there were many ideas. There were many ways you could put your thoughts together. Uh, and Christian thought in Paul's world was considered irrational thought. Like, it was a very rational world. The, the, the philosophers, the Greek culture was very intellectual. They intellectualized most things. And they'd look at people who believed in faith in a resurrected Messiah they'd look at that and say, that's just errant nonsense. It's irrational. Dumb. And the followers of Jesus were squeezed out of the communities regularly in the New Testament. They had to continually choose. Will we stay faithful to this Jesus who gave his life for us or will we fold and just rejoin the prevailing idea? And in a world where we're faced with millions of choices, where options are bound by the bucket load, where the world outside the church passes judgments on our choices, and can I say sometimes justly passes judgment on our choices, because the church hasn't always chosen well, the church hasn't always made good decisions, when we think about all the things that have come through, you know, the royal commissions and we've learned about how we've often hidden uh, people who have perpetrated evil, the world sometimes will judge our choices and we feel grieved by that, even a little bit angry that they would do that. But, but when we live in this world where that's happening, it can become increasingly challenging to live out the Christ life, to choose that. Years ago, I had a very interesting experience. Who knows where the blood bank is in Bendigo? Anybody been there? Right, all those people who give a bit of blood? That used to be the Salvation Army Citadel. Did you know that? So when it was the Salvation Army Citadel, when I first went to the Bendigo Salvos, that was our church building, and they'd done a nice, well, no, hideous 70s makeover on the building, and you walk in and it was, you know, odd. But we had a problem with pigeons. So we had pigeons that would roost in the roof and you'd see pigeon droppings coming down the side of the roof and we thought, we're going to go and fix those pigeons. We're going to get rid of those pigeons. And we realised that they were getting into the roof cavity above because there was a door that had been, that had been rotted off its hinges and the pigeons were living in this loft. So we... A couple of the young guys in the church and myself, we grabbed a flashlight, we went up and we had to climb over the roof, this huge building, and it was pretty scary because we had to cross great drops. We got up there and we, we found the door and we thought, we worked out what we had to do, but we thought we'd have a look. And we shone the flashlight in and it was the most amazing sight in that upper loft. The Salvos had done their 70s hideous makeover, but above the ceiling were these incredible scrolls with words and artwork. They ever do that in the old Church of Christ buildings? 
right on the walls, big, did they? And the big scroll right over the right over the pulpit was holiness unto the Lord. Holiness unto the Lord. And then right down the sides, on both sides, were these incredible frescoes that had been lost in the hideous makeover in the 70s. Holiness unto the Lord. And it seemed to me that as they'd shushied up and prettied up the church, that this kind of language and this reminder continually in front of the people had been lost. It was like a a Raiders of the Lost Ark moment as we went up there to have a look at it. Holiness unto the Lord. The lived out expression of all that Christ has done. Holiness unto the Lord. It was a huge theme in the in the 19th century and in the 20th century, holiness, personal holiness, that we might grow in grace, that we might grow in the character of Jesus, that we might display the character of Jesus in our life. Philippians 4, 4-9 uh, is a beautiful, um, wonderful, succinct sermon on holiness and that's where we're going today i want to quickly read it for you may i let me read it for you quickly rejoice in the lord always says paul he says i will say it again rejoice let your gentleness be evident to all the lord is near do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to god and the peace of god which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus finally brothers and sisters whatever is true Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Beautiful words, uh, absolutely wonderful sermon on what it means to live the holy life, to be a person who is living holiness. You know, they're part of a consistent theme, those words. If you, if you see regularly, Paul refers to this kind of life. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit. We referred to it before, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Can I tell you, I meet a lot of Christians who seem to live the complete opposite of that in their life. They don't seem to have a lot of peace or patience or kindness or goodness. Love is a kind of, it's inverted and joy. It's a lemon juice experience. But this spirit lived out life is almost entirely unpacked here in these few verses that Paul gives us. Let me just walk them through. So he talks about practice of our Christian life and then he talks about what happens when we practice our life. These two things, they're quite a, they're a bit of a, a pattern in this little reading. He says this, here's the practice. There are some things that we do that indicate that we have kind of grasped and, and, and have in incorporate into our life the life of Jesus. Here's the first he says. The first is we will, be, we will rejoice. 
He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now, I remind you that when he's writing this, he's sitting in a prison cell and contemplating that he may not actually get out of jail. That's not because he'll be there all his life, but because he could literally be executed for being a follower of Jesus. And yet in this prison cell, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. To rejoice is to display your joy. So when he says, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, joy is uplifting. Joy is, um, is an expression of delight. It's like delight in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, delight. Be delighted by what God is doing. Display your joy. And he says, always. And that's, that always statement means no matter what circumstances you're in. How hard is that to do? This is holiness, friends, to, to, to rejoice always. It's a natural tendency in our kind of humanity to enjoy the things in our life that are really enjoyable and to despise the things in our life that we don't like. Is that true? We do it. I do it. We all do it. But Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. Not rejoice in your circumstances, rejoice in the Lord because the Lord is in the middle of all your circumstances. He's always present no matter what. And why should we rejoice? What is it that makes us able to rejoice when things are not the way we'd like it? Because ultimately the things that happen to us are nothing compared to what Christ has done for us. Given us new life saved us, rescued us. You know, ours is not a God who kind of gets the little flower and goes, I love you, I love you not, I love you, I love you not, like a Russian roulette. Loves you always, ever. And so you can rejoice. He says this, he says, be gentle, so rejoice. He says, be gentle. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The gentle spirit is a still spirit. It's a spirit that is still. And you can be still when you, when you have Christ in your life. What the old song used to go with, Christ in my vessel, I can smile at the storm till he calls me home. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. He says then this. This is the practice of the, of the life in Christ. This is holiness. Trust God, he says. Be patient and faithful. He says, do not be anxious for anything. So picks up that theme. Rejoice always. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation whatever, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, reminding yourself to say thank you to God for all that he already is and has done in your life. Present your requests to God. You can take it to God. You take it, but, but you take your concerns to God, trusting him. And when we do these things, Paul says, we experience a consequence, a beautiful consequence. It says that we then will know the peace of God. Peace comes when we 
rejoice, become gentle because we're still, and when we trust, we experience the peace of God. Rose, I remember that conversation we had in my office. This was your experience a while back, wasn't it? Lots of turmoil and then you handed it to God in trust and you experienced peace. I remember. Beautiful. Spoke to me that day. He says, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's the direct consequence of rejoicing and living in gentleness, gentleness to yourself, and exercising trust. Peace, I think about that. Actually, for me, can I say the peace, when I experience peace, it slows down my urges and my surges. Can I share that with you? So, you know, without peace, I I have urges that I think are unworthy, unworthy of Jesus. And my spirit surges and my brain surges and my mind surges and I find myself weary. You have that experience? Yep. Peace and stillness go together. Peace and stillness go together. When Jesus calmed the storm, he made the storm still. He stilled the storm. Peace and stillness go together. And you'll know God's peace when you're still. And this call to holiness is a call to discipline that raging, surging thing inside. Then he talks about more practice. He goes further, he says... Practice this. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, he says, think about such things. Why? He says, think about such things because when you start thinking about these things, you're actually going to find yourself in that place of stillness because those things are beautiful. And when you start thinking beautiful things, you start living beautiful things. You know, as you think, so you do. We see that all the time, do we not? So it's about having our mind renewed, having our mind ordered, having the mind of Christ. What did he say in Philippians 2? Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. This is the mind of Christ. Noble, right, true, pure, lovely, admirable, praiseworthy, excellent. Think about such things. And then he says, in practice, to practice your faith, it's in the practice that we, that we grow. Not in the thinking only, but in the practice. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, he says, put it into practice. Put it into practice. You don't practice, you're never going to master these things. What did Jesus say in Matthew 28 when he commissioned his disciples and sent them? He didn't send them, teach them to listen to everything I've commanded. He said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded because obedience is practice. And the practice of faith, the practice of our faith is the evidence that we have one at all. But James says, you know, 
James talks about faith without works is dead because faith without works is just a, a, a gnashy little idea. But it's the lived out expression that demonstrates that it's a living reality in your life. But in a world where there are so many kooky ideas and where Christian thought and practice seem to be whatever you want to make it these days, a kind of a choose-your-own-adventure, if you like, how do we learn to practice authentic faith? How do we learn to practice a faith that will help us to have peace in our hearts and joy in our lives and a more trusting spirit toward God? And Paul says that to do that, we need to find consistent role models. He places himself there for his people as a role model. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. He's not an egotist. He's just saying that you need a kind of a pattern to follow. Now, when I say finding consistent role models, I'm not talking about finding perfect role models because you won't find a perfect role model. And herein lies the real difficulty that when we set our role models to be perfect people, when they fail, then we, we abandon and, and we find ourselves with nothing. But we're talking about finding role models who are consistent to Scripture, to faithful practice of the Christ life. And in this room, there are many. I can tell you, in this room, there's not one person in this room that's perfect, that I would say is a perfect example for me. And that's why Christian community is a really good thing, because in the sense of being in community, you're going to get, as Ross helpfully spoke to us, you're going to get that diversity which helps you to make wise choices got two elders in this church. I sit with them. They are completely different men. I love Terry. love Terry's wisdom. I love John's wisdom. But we don't always agree. True? But we find ourselves agreeable because we're in Christ. And that's what I'm saying. And the consequences of living out this practice of truth and nobility and what's right and what's pure and what's lovely and what's admirable what's excellent what's praiseworthy and and setting our minds to be to be growing in grace the consequence of this and the peace of god will be with you actually i could have easily titled this how to find peace how to find peace now, as we come to a conclusion, let me say, in writing to Timothy, Paul wrote, uh, he foretold a time when sound doctrine would be no longer uh, acceptable, when sound teaching would be challenged. In 2 Timothy 4.3, he writes this, For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, Instead, to suit their own desires, to fulfill what they need, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Well, we live in such a time, I put to you. A 
couple of weeks ago, I spoke about the data explosion that's taken place in our world. Do you remember? How much information there is in our world and how bewildering it must be for people to try and figure out what is true. You know, we ask that question, how do you know when you've found the truth amidst all this junk data? So many ideas, so much junk, so many fruitless, pointless pursuits that take place because everybody's got an opinion and now they've got a platform for an opinion to go on. So many ideas, almost uh, leading us to fashion a neo-Christian faith. A lot of that taking place, which suits their own desires. But I want to put to you these words of Paul that we've just read are timeless and true. They are, they are timeless and they are beautiful and they are the path of holiness. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Trust him. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And I pray, may you find it so.